0: Blob Talk Radio
1: Anyone want coffee? Hello fellow book writers and caffeine fiends, welcome to A Daily Cup of Joe, where you'll get to hear from publishing industry pros and affirm your inner bookworm.
2: Good evening listeners, my name is Ethan from One Guy's Guide to Good Reads and I am welcoming you all to a very special edition of A Cup of Joe. Tonight I have the great honor of hosting you guys in a Special interview with the authors of Seven, a new novel releasing tomorrow. Um, it is my great honor to introduce to you guys our authors, Ms. Casey L. Bond, Miss Jo Michaels, Miss Tia Silverthorne-Balk, Ms. Kelly Rister, and the amazing Nicole, or N.L. Green. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, 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 hey,
1: we're all here. Hello. Hey. Uh, hello.
2: hello. How's it going, guys?
3: Good. Really well.
2: Awesome. Well, guys, I'm just going to jump right in here. We'll talk a little bit about the book. I've got some awesome questions for you guys here. But just in case anybody's a little confused about what seven is, I kind of wanted to read over our synopsis and talk a little bit about the process first. So let's talk about seven. All right. Perfect. We are excited. Good deal. So the novel officially releases tomorrow, even though, if, um, from what I understand, the print copies have been out for a little bit. Need to get me one of those. So, tomorrow is going to be late thing 7 here, and our synopsis is so seven marks upon the wall. Tom may rise, but he may fall. Through five lives, no one dares mention of the sin for which he seeks redemption. Faith will meet, and you will see what will this thus become of he. Really exciting stuff, guys. Cannot wait for everybody to get their hands on this one. All right. So let's get started. So I don't really have a questions for each of you individually. So if anybody wants to jump in, I may call you guys out a little bit here. But uh, I think we should really talk about the backstory first. So you ladies have done this once before. You guys have collaborated last year with your first project, Fractured Glass. Um, so tell us a little bit more. Uh, Joe, if you want to start us out, tell us a little bit about your process. Like what, what prompted this? How did you guys start find each other and What prompted the second going? Uh,
1: Well, the first going was me putting out a call for entries on my blog, believe it or not, and all these, I probably had 25 entries that were sent to me, and these five, entries like mine and therefore really stood out as being kind of in the same writing style and I was like you know I know these people kind of (laughs) Kelly was the only one I didn't personally know but her (laughs) writing flowed so well you know I mean it was just it was flawless so I, I said you know these are the four people I want to work with on this I like their attitudes they're great people I love their writing style I think we'll mesh well and we met at Utopia and Fractured Glass was born
2: awesome story well you know i can definitely attest to kelly being amazing because before you meet you guys utopia kelly is the only person that i actually knew so i've had the Mm -hmm. great pleasure of working with kelly for a little over a year now with clean team publishing who several of kelly's books are with and i know she's amazing so what up kelly
4: (laughs) thank you (laughs) i'm blushing (laughs) good
2: (laughs) love it so uh, I guess, well, Kelly, you know, what have you thought about this experience? Like, how has this been different than other writing experiences that you've had?
4: Um, for me, at first, it was really nerve-wracking because um, when I went to Utopia for the first time, I wasn't even published yet. My book was coming out July 1st. So I was like, oh, I'm meeting all of these authors, and we're going to collaborate together, and they all have experience, and I'm the newbie here. So I know they knew I was very nervous when we met, but um, it, I had nothing to be nervous about. We all um, we just sort of jived right away, and it's been an amazing experience from the very beginning.
2: That's awesome, yeah. And you know, like you guys were saying, we, Utopia is the conference where you guys all met, and it's also where I got the pleasure to meet you guys. Um, you know, have you guys um, with Utopia? Do you feel like? Well, tell me about your Utopia experiences. Like with that, with with this, do you think that you guys would have been? Would it have been able to work without you guys knowing each other through Utopia? Uh Tia, what do you think about that?
0: Um, I think Utopia was a big reason why we clicked so well was meeting in person. I think we I think we would have figured it out. We're all pretty good at, at um constant messaging and staying in contact and but I think being able to meet in person in such a wonderful environment and I will never forget that first meeting sitting on the back part of the millennium outside <laughs> and just knowing that we were clicking, so I do think that personal contact made it our bond even stronger. Um, I think we would all—I'm convinced—we would have all eventually found each other. But I do think that was a great first way to to bond.
2: Awesome, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a wonderful experience. I've gone the past two years now. This is my first year actually attending at the conference. Last year I just came for the signing. So who knows what would have happened? You know, it's crazy. It's awesome that you guys would have got to meet each other through that. So, you know, mm-hmm. this one, is it's a really different writing experience to write a book like this. Now, I, I'll admit I haven't had the chance to devour fractured glass yet. I have had it, and I've, it's one of my treasured possessions here to have it signed by all five of you guys that I did this summer. Um, so with this book, you know, you guys all wrote different portions. Or, you know, Casey, tell me a little bit about how the writing style went. I know this one's a little different than writing a traditional novel.
1: Um this one was different um seven is considered historical, which was uh something that uh, not many of us have uh delved into yet, but it also pushed us and it um challenged our skills and I really think that we came out in the end um much better writers and and a much uh more cohesive group of writers uh together collaborating and um so so we just We sat around at Utopia this last year. Um, I don't know what it is, and I agree with Tia as well, but whenever we get together in person, it seems like magic happens. Um, We all sat around. We were very much on the same page and bounced ideas off of one another until we had a great idea of what this book was going to be. But until you actually delve into something and start writing – It's really hard to know what the end product is going to be. But um, Joe is a wizard of all things (laughs) technology, and um, we literally wrote in the same document together at times. And it just flowed so well and and so perfectly that I'm so proud of the product that we were able to to put out there with Seven and um, just love working with these ladies.
2: As you guys should be very proud. Like I said, it's awesome. I'm so excited for everybody else to get their hands on tomorrow.
1: Ethan, you have to ask Nicole at some point about the ribbing that we did to her that night about T-Dog. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I I will
2: definitely write this down right now because I've actually got some specific (laughs) questions for Nicole regarding her uh, little portion of the story here.
3: So uh, on that same note, though,
2: You just mentioned, Casey, that you guys, this is a historical, so it was a very different um, writing style for you guys. Now, and I've told you guys this before, I am a huge history buff. Historical novels are kind of my thing, one of my favorites. I absolutely, that was my favorite part about Seven, was getting to dive into the different time periods and different historical portions of it, you know, just seeing the different researches and facts and all the, you know, fun stuff you guys got to do with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of you guys' works and, and historical, it really is. This is very different for a lot of you guys. So, Nicole, what was your experience in writing a historical, you know, from a set, standpoint like this compared to what you've done before?
1: Um, honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda got the, the easy the easy part out of everyone because of the nineties. <laughs> um so for me it was you know, it was it was pretty easy for me personally just because, you know, my own experiences, that kind of thing. Um, but overall, um, still working together and and having to um, you know, go into these periods of time that I don't write about at all, um, was fun and um it was actually a little um it made me a little nervous because you know we have people that are you know history buffs like you um who will go back and fact check and you know make sure we're we're doing what we're supposed to do so um that was a little made me a little nervous personally um I think the the other ladies can probably tell you more about that with doing like the 20s and um you know and and some of the other ones but um But it was fun, too. It was fun to do something that wasn't present time.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of where I want to kick off there and start with our divulging into you guys' individual stories. You know, just like, you know, you're mentioning here, so all of the stories in seven, there's five individual time periods, and they really do go all throughout, you know, past 2,000 years of human history, which is a huge undertaking for any author. And, you know, the way you guys divided it up is, It's pretty awesome. So I guess my last question before we get into specifics on the novel itself, um, Joe, if you would cover this one for me. So tell me about how you guys divided up the time periods and what, you know, whose idea was that? Um, I know that we're going to get a little bit into that a little bit here in a minute, but um, just the time periods themselves and why a historical novel? Well...
1: Actually, um, the brainchild was Nicole. She said something about a lost soul going through many lives, and we kind of latched onto that. And I thought, well, what about periods through history? And everybody was like, oh yeah, you know, because like like Casey said, you know, we we, we jive whenever we're in a room together.
3: It's right. like magic.
1: So <laughs> everybody chose an era, and then we decided like that's the order they would write in. So that was how it was broken up. Um, I happen to be a huge fan of Elizabeth. Um, Casey actually chose Egypt first, and then we had to change that for obvious reasons. Um, y- you'll find out whenever you read Seven.
3: <laughs> Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoiler. Right.
1: <No. But>, yeah. <laughs> Tia Tia was big on the Civil War. And then Casey, uh, Kelly uh, loved the Roaring Twenties, you know, like the flappers and the, the mobsters. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous because I like that era too. <laughs> and then Nicole was like the 90s. <laughs> And T Dog, T Dog will be T <laughs> Dog was born. <laughs> then, it's not definitely Not even when I answer that historical that. or anything. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> using, I feel so old when I think about the '90s being historical now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to say, yeah, I mean that so
3: was <laughs> the concept.
1: Wow. And it was. I do I want to mention it was, that it it was, was really. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was It's me who comes up with the construct. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had the idea of writing the five different sections and then writing something together. And then with Fractured Glass, you know, I was like, why don't we each write five sections of a whole novel? You know what I mean? So the construct has kind of been my brainchild. Everybody else worries about the details. <laughs> and I was like,
2: here's mm-hmm. what
1: we're going to try to do. Let's just see if we can freaking pull it off. <laughs> we're all
2: like that, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's really different too, because I'm like, I've I've never read anything like this before. This is, and I mean, obviously I do a little bit of reading. Um, it's not, it's not an anthology. This is not a collection of short stories. It's one novel that's written by five authors. And it's just, to me, to see that the way that you guys just weaved through the stories, you know, at times, and like I said, I'm familiar with, you know, Casey's work and Kelly's work. And I read, you know, a little bit from all of you guys in preparation for this. And just to see how your writing styles, not only they were very different, but you all kept with the same tones and the same themes in your story that to another reader, they probably wouldn't have been able to tell, you know, oh, hey, you know, this is, oh, you can definitely tell this is Casey's, you can definitely tell this is Joe's or Nicole's, or it was just, you guys wrote it seamlessly That with the story and the themes and the, the plots, It was just, it was perfect. You guys did an awesome job. So I just really commend you guys for that because I've never seen a, even like an anthology or a collection of stories really go together like this. Thank you. <laughs>
3: Awesome. We'll yes, before, <laughs> thank you.
2: before I get into specifics about the story, I do want to mention to any of our listeners who may be a little confused is it's really, really difficult for us to talk about a lot of aspects of seven because it is florific to say the least. Um There are a lot of twists that you don't see coming, and especially in the end, it's one of those you just got to put the book down and take a breather because you can't believe what you just read. So it's a little difficult for us to ask specific questions, so we're going to try to be as broad as possible. So if any of you ladies encounter any spoilery questions you don't want to answer, please feel free to sidestep them. Okay. Okay, so our first section of Seven is by Miss Casey L. Bond. And Casey, you know that you're one of my favorite people on this planet. Right before <laughs> I read Seven, I actually devoured your Harvest Saga novel or series. Yeah, um, okay. That was, yeah. yeah, it was probably like I, I I love dystopian. I don't know if you guys know the story, but I absolutely love it. And I'm not kidding you that I was messaging every dystopian author I knew while I was reading this, like, oh my goodness, have you read this? People, stop what you're doing, buy these books, these are amazing. So as soon as I pulled up and thought Casey was the first person I was reading from, I was pumped. I could not wait to get into this one. <laughs> so, Casey, your, your story is, it's probably, to me, it was, the, it was the most interesting. Not because of the content, but because I think you probably had what I would say one of the hardest time periods to write in. You got the first century A.D., um, specifically your story starts at August 1st, 64 A.D., You got a long time ago, (laughs) Lee. That's that's a (laughs) – I mean – (laughs) really people weren't even wearing pants and real shoes in 64 AD and you wrote a story about it so crazy I mean anybody who's familiar with history or knows even the basis of how we base our time periods on knows that the first century was a very very instrumental time period in our history specifically for you you chose Rome and the time of Nero the emperor and right after the burning of Rome and all of the craziness that was going on in that area even after you know the a crucifixion of Christ in the same time period. It was a very, very important part of of our human history and even our current modern civilization. It's all revolved around things that happened in that time period. So, uh, Casey, I really want to know from you, what kind of research did you do specifically for your part in Seven?
1: Well, um, I have been to Rome, and I've seen a lot of the, you know, the ruins and the tourist attractions of what they are now. You know, back then they were, you know, that was life. And so I knew that I could draw from experience having been there, and also um, I'm just very interested in that culture, you know, with the, with the gladiators and the Coliseum and just the craziness that went on um, with, with Nero. If you know anything about him at all, he was just psychotic and um, I like a little bit crazy in most of my books. (laughs) So um, it was just sort of a natural fit and something that um, piqued my interest, and I knew I wouldn't have any trouble um, researching. So um, obviously I went to the Internet, and I went to the bookstore, and I've got all sorts of um, Roman history um, novels and uh, websites pulled up, even some basic things like um children's uh websites about Rome which thought about the clothing and, and different things. So I tried to be as thorough as I could and um but still stay with the story and make it interesting as far as um a romance. So
2: Of course, absolutely, that's it. absolutely. <laughs> Well, I and mean, that's awesome. You know, like um, earlier, I was saying, you know, each each of these five stories are a really a story within themselves. And I found myself after completing each one, I was upset that there wasn't more. I mean, you guys could have written entire novels just based on your short stories that you wrote. <laughs> um, each each story has, you know, a, a male and female, you know, love interest. They've got a, a villain. They've, you know, they've got all the, the perfect settings. that they're just written perfectly. And you know, you mentioned, you know, Nero and how bad of a guy he was for some of us who aren't as familiar with this period in history Nero was the emperor at the time who kind of had overtaken Rome, he had some pretty crazy stuff going on and I actually want to read a little bit that you actually wrote about Nero, uh, describing sure. his character a little bit um, you said, um, just to give guys you guys an idea of how evil the man was, you say there's only a small example of the insanity that plagued our emperor, he'd had Christians burned for practicing cannibalism within the empire saying they drank the blood and ate the flesh of their Christ in strange ceremonies had been flogged for looking at him in what he called a suspicious manner, and no woman who caught his eye, married or not, was safe. He took anything he wanted. His power often went unchecked and unquestioned. I mean, just in that one paragraph, you really lay out that Nero is definitely not a man that anybody wants to cross. And in the end, Nero really had an interesting uh, turn, demise, so to speak. But I'm curious, um, as these... This isn't obviously you guys' stories. It's a fiction. It's not something that you guys it's not really happened. Thomasus was not, you know, as far as we know, a real person. But so <laughs> I guess I'm a little curious. You know how do, how do you feel? You know, if the for Thomas relationship with Nero, describe that a little bit. Describe how how close our main character had to be to such a villain, and why that you thought that was important for the story.
1: Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, Thomas is he is a good guy. Um, he's he's married to the love of his life, his life is going well. Um, and he's giving an important he's given an important job, um, to get close to Nero and basically get some information. And, um, in doing so, um, loses his way a little bit and I can't imagine being put into a situation like that and not coming out changed in one way or mm-hmm. another. And so I yeah. put Thomas in that situation and let him guide me. So, I don't want to give too much away, but... Yeah. Oh, you know, no, of course,
2: of course. And like I said, guy, everybody's so going like to understand. it's <laughs>
1: difficult not to be changed in one way or another. So, I'll just say that. Right.
2: <laughs> right. Well, the other thing, so the automatists, your guys' stories are told in two parts, and yours is told in the point of view of automatists and his wife, Josephine. Um, yes. So... I guess my question regarding Josephine is, well, actually, just, just tell us a little bit about her character. What, what do you think about Josephine, and what was your inspiration for her character? And really, you know, what do you think of her, how she coped with what happened to Thomas throughout their time frame?
3: Um, I
1: think she's strong, and she wants to be strong for him. But when distance and time pass, it's it's more it gets more and more difficult to do that. Um, as in the way that she would want so it's it's like they you know in all love stories or in real life sometimes people grow sort of apart and no one wants that to happen they want to you know keep hold of, of the love that they once had and so she struggles he struggles everyone struggles but in the end you know she believes in him and she loves him and um, I don't want to give too much of my story away, but, um, sometimes, um, life doesn't always, uh, come up daisies for everybody. Right. So.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So everybody's definitely going to have to make sure to check out Casey's part of the story. So just, <laughs> yeah, I want to say that, you know, I don't, I don't want to say one is more than anything else. But it's like each story I read, I was like, I don't know how they can make it more emotional or more touching than that. <laughs> then I'd read the next one and think, I don't know how they can top that. And then the next one, oh my goodness. So, and. Yeah, so I just remember finishing Casey's and thinking I I can't even read the rest of this book like there's nothing gonna top that and then I read the next one I was like oh goodness what now so it's it's really how you guys all build on each other it was perfect so I think that starting out with Casey's there in Ancient Rome was a perfect way to start out this story so moving on from Casey's our next author in part two was Joe uh, Joe your story takes place starting September 24th 1584 on the banks of the Thames near St Paul's Cathedral. So you, we jumped a little bit, about five hundred years here, a little over five hundred years, kind of a, kind of a massive change. So Joe, talk to us. What happens between Casey's time and our time? And let's talk about your research regarding the medieval period that you chose.
1: Oh goodness! Um, I, when I was in college, I took a world history class, and the first semester, I hate history, by the way, or I did until I took that class. My <laughs> professor made it interesting. He focused on the people in history. He didn't focus on things and boring details. He was like, check out this person. I remember learning about Nero and thinking, okay, he's he's kind of crazy, <laughs> but he's interesting, you know. <laughs> so, he said you have to write a research paper every semester, and mine was Elizabeth I. I love her. I love the things she stood for. I love her morals. I have probably read every book you can imagine on Elizabeth and her mother Anne Boleyn and. Henry the Eighth's second wife, and, you know, his third wife, his fourth. I've I read a book on Jane Seymour. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I love it. I so got into it after that class. And so when the opportunity here came, I was like, Elizabeth is like a no-brainer right?
0: <laughs> because I love her.
1: I think at some point in the previous life I was her. Um, between Casey's period and my period, I would say um, Thomas, Thomas' soul was in stasis. You know, he was waiting for that certain – period where he would have to face the particular sin that he faced in my section of the book. And I think that was a great era for great things to happen and someone to really oh, yeah. stand out if they had the drive and the gumption. And I was like, that could be perfect. So that's why it just worked.
2: I don't know. Right. Well, and one of the, the great things about yours, Joe, is I will admit it's, of the time periods, it's probably one I'm the least familiar with. So I really, I had to do a little bit of research on my own to look into this. I'm not going to lie. The medieval thing has never been a big thing for me. But after reading this, I was really, really intrigued by your plot and setting that you set up here. Now, the interesting things that I found were how you particularly use social nuances and the way that culture was at the time to really pull in different um, well, uh, cultural aspects, I would say, of, of their story. One of the big points that I saw and noticed was that Sir Thomas in your novel is a – Jeweler, or mm-hmm. I can't even say that word, <laughs> of sorts. And at one point, he is told that he cannot change the color of gold. It must be witchcraft. So the man was clearly talented and could perform better at his job to impress his queen more than any other man in his area. But mm-hmm. he was, you know, assaulted as witchcraft because it was just unheard of for that time period. So I just really found it interesting that that's the angle that you took with this one. So, tell me what else did you notice you know cultural wise and and how did that really implement your research?
1: <clears throat> well, gems back then were typically set with wrapped wire, and I thought it was it was that era specifically where they started to be set into prong settings, and I thought, you know, what if my guy was the one who came up with that idea? Diamonds were generally black and called jet, so he needed to make something sparkle in a way that it had never sparkled before because, you know, he really wanted to stand out and make make the queen take notice of him. You know what I mean? So I thought, how awesome would it be if my guy could figure out a way to not only make gold stronger because it was weaker back then, by mixing it with other metals, but also to change the color. And in my research, I found out that that was also the era when people discovered how to change the color of gold. So rose gold, they had a greenish colored gold, white gold.
4: So it just, it kind of fit.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, with your time period, you really went a a lot. Oh, you know, there's a lot in here, a lot of setting. It's a lot of uh, character development, but a whole lot of, you know, setting and culture in this part, which was just amazing. So in your story, you go from different palaces, you know, Palace of Whitehall, Windsor. You Mm -hmm. know, you're everywhere with the Queen, and you learn, you know, you really, we see a lot about not only uh, Sir Thomas and Lady Kelly, uh, his wife in the novel, um, but also of the Queen Elizabeth herself. Um, so you know, like I said, each novel really it does feature its or section really has its own cast of characters. Um, Kelly really has an interesting role in this story, and it was it was really really one that really pulled me in a little bit. Um, talk about Kelly a little bit. What was your inspiration for her character, and, and really, what what was your take on her in the end?
1: My inspiration for her character, and I'm not like blowing smoke up your butt, but um, was Kelly herself because. The character's named after Kelly Risser, and Kelly is such a sweet, like, loving, accepting, just genuine person, and I thought that character needs to be a lot like Kelly. Like, she needs, she needs to accept things with grace and humility and be there for somebody that, who's struggling, you know what I mean, and, and, and really see the good in somebody, and that's everything I see in Kelly. So I, I really drew my inspiration from her. Aw,
2: Kelly, did you catch those fields?
4: Yes, I want to reach through I and hug, hug Joe.
2: <laughs> Phone <laughs> hugs are permitted.
1: So well, I have a T. Um, so you know,
2: <laughs> Joe, my last question for you in the end of your story, Sir Thomas is really faced with a a difficult decision, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I would have done anything different than he did. It's it's a really, it's one that really leaves you thinking. You know, you kind of go back and forth, back and forth. You know, as part of you guys writing these stories, you really had to address each of your sins and how the characters, you know, I, I mean, not just, not just as Thomas, but how any person, anybody in uh, mankind would, mm-hmm. you know, resolve these issues themselves. How yeah. do you feel about the decision that Sir Thomas ultimately makes? And do you feel like it really is, a decision that most people would struggle with.
1: Absolutely. I, all of my characters are very true to human nature. I'm very steadfast in that. If, if I create a character, it's going to do what a human is going to do. It's not going to be perfect. They're not going to be flawless. They're going to have their things they want. And the the one thing he wanted was recognition and everything for what he worked so hard for, even though he was warned about it. You know what I mean? And but he had to pay a price for that because that is the nature of the seven deadly sins.
2: Right. Absolutely and they all definitely pay the price. That's that's for sure. <laughs> you guys definitely pulled on our heartstrings with that one. But yeah, definitely. So yeah, Joe, your part was it was, it was a little rough. That was a rough reading one. I I got to say that one kind of <laughs> hit me in the feels a little bit. <laughs> but it's the next one here. It was definitely so our third part was written by Miss Tia Silverthorne-Balk. And Tia, I told you as soon as I finished that as soon as I started and saw the dates, I thought it was Civil War era, and I got pumped. Let me tell you guys, Civil War, that's my thing. So as soon as I saw those dates, I was like, this is going to be the one for me, I'm telling you. And Tia knocked it out of the park. So, Tia, with your section, part three, we are in Wake County, North Carolina, and the Anderson Homestead, and May 12th, 1863, right on the cusp of a crazy, crazy time in our nation's history. This is the first of the three stories where we see Thomas actually in the New World, so obviously a lot has changed since the mid-1500s to the 19th century. So, Tia, talk to me a little bit about the development and where you went with your research, specifically regarding the 1860s in North Carolina.
0: Well, it helps that I'm a Southern girl and and spent a good portion of my life there, but I've moved a lot. And I remember as a kid studying Civil War, and where I lived depended on how it was presented. I mean, this is still a very hotbed for us as a nation. I mean, this is still something people are very intimate about and have very big opinions. I mean, there were points in my studies that it was taught to me as the war of northern aggression. I told you. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so I've gotten very different perspectives. And like I said, to have been our past, it's something you think about even in current news and the Confederate flag and how people feel about it. It's still very much a part of our nation and how we feel about things and people have opinions and i think that's what intrigued me there's such an innate conflict in doing anything with the civil war because it tore apart families and it had brother against brother and i think the richness of what was possible there was was intriguing but it was also terrifying because it's it's such a i think again people have a real still real heartstrings attached to what our country went through and our nation during that time. So it was a little daunting in that way, but I was really intrigued with the idea of it.
2: Absolutely. And just, I and, you know, mean, you had a, in fact, we did as a group, I believe, we had a very in-depth conversation about the, you know, aftermath of the Civil War on our nation as a whole, because you're exactly right. It's still a very big part of our culture. Um, And, you know, we talked also, yeah, I was born and raised in Southeast Missouri, and even I was changed the way it was taught. Um, In fact, we were not taught the Civil War through my public education. I actually didn't learn about the Civil War really in depth until I went to college. And that's why it was such an interesting um, thing to study for me, just because even, you know, where I'm from and the surrounding areas, it's not something we talk about. It's not, it's just such a cultural uh snafu we don't think about it we don't discuss it and it's 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 uncomfortable it's, a, it's an uncomfortable you know pain point for a lot of people and you know a lot of cultures you know this is a really big part of our history that we really don't do as much with so I was really really excited to see you uh, you know dive into this uh quite a bit um did you have to do any specific research or what, what did you use for your inspiration for your setting and characters So I
0: I specifically did more southern research because, of course, my character Thomas is is from the south, from North Carolina. And and crazy enough with North Carolina, the eastern part of North Carolina felt more one way about the war and the western part about another, which I tried to include in there as well, but... um, I'm going to tell you what I did. My husband was never so thrilled to hear about a book choice in his life because he went and got Gods and Generals and Gettysburg, and he was thrilled beyond measure because all the movies I'm like, oh, okay, maybe later I want to watch a three-hour movie. Um, He was like, this is it. he loved all you ladies for this whole idea because he's like, "Yes, she is going to sit and have a six-hour Civil War movie marathon." <laughs> north and South. <laughs> no, oh, North and yeah, North and South. I wanted to watch because that has Patrick Swayze. That took no. Hey, hey, but... I know my Swayze now. <laughs> so, I yes, my husband was thrilled, but I I did a lot of that because I'm a visual person and I really wanted to see. And I know those are. You know, a lot of that is fictionalized accounts, but so much of it was there, the emotion, the period, what the pieces look like, what the, uh, you know, uniforms, so much of it was there. I did a lot of book research as well, but I wanted that visual. I wanted to watch those movies. And no, I'm not the person who watched movies and didn't read the books. I did both, I promise.
2: Well, more power to you for reading those books, because I know I had to watch Gettysburg for one of my classes, and it's a four-and-a-half-hour movie. I don't know what you're talking about, three hours. It is crazy. So more power to both you and your husband for sitting through multiples of those, because I couldn't even handle all that business. Oh, yeah. There's it's an intermission. Lot.
0: That's all I have to say. There is an intermission.
2: <laughs> if you're watching any film with an intermission for research, you're trying too hard. So, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> It's a mess, <laughs> but it's 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 definitely you know like I said, Civil War is one of my favorite eras in American history. So I was so excited to see you include that. But even more than that, you you kind of touched on this briefly is how families and friends were just torn apart by this war. And the big thing in your story is you really do have a very family oriented plot line. Um, that's it's a little different. I know that all of our stories really deal with uh, with a family matter, but yours specifically dealt with you know the. Oh, spoilery. Um, <laughs> just the family aspect of the writing style and of, of, of the war itself. Now, it was a definitely an emotional response as a reader to see this. But, you know, tell me a little bit, how do you anticipate readers, you know, what do you want readers to get out of your part of the story? I know this is a little more touching and it's a little deeper, but what, what kind of response are you hoping for out of your readers?
0: So it's funny, I was doing some um – at some point, I it was, you see all the quotes and you remember things. And one of my favorite quotes from this time period is Abraham Lincoln said, "A house divided against itself cannot stand." And that really hit home with me. I think all of our fears, as a mom, I'll just do this from my perspective, is that our family won't stay together. That my I have three daughters. That someday they'll drift apart, or we won't be a unit. And so I wanted this to hit home in that way, in a way that everybody could. Could connect to, and that's that's a family at odds with each other and um obviously the war on a big scale tore apart families, but it doesn't take a war to tear apart a family I mean that exacerbates whatever's happening, but I think that the intimacy of of this family being torn apart um over things that happened during that time I mean Thomas is a second born son, and you know that didn't always mean that you got the best part of the family especially with the plantation and things being passed down generation after generation and um and so i i wanted i wanted to feel that emotion of things we're all afraid of things any of us can relate to and that's Mm -hmm. our family and 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 not wanting to lose that connection it's such a part of who we are and why we become and do what we do
3: Absolutely.
2: You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's, it's definitely a, a touching one for sure. So, you know, one of the, just like the other characters, yours was a little different because you really had to include, I I feel like the Civil War, a lot of people know the basics. So you really had to include, you know, the, the general league situation. And You know, you really, you made your character a lieutenant, you know, in the military. So how was it for you to actually write someone who has such a, you know, Robert e. Lee or any you know any of those Civil War figures how important was it for you or how, what was your experience in writing the this novel including such pivotal characters throughout history
0: I wanted and this is where watching the movie I think really helped I wanted to show their human side you know we all we all know their plot you know plot points according to what history tells us but you know, all the way during that war, every one of these generals had their second thoughts, had their moments of wondering, what have I gotten myself into and what am I really doing this for? Why are we here? And so I wanted I wanted them all to be human. I think we see these General Lee's and Ulysses S Grant and all these figures as such like figures and these men of of just such an important part of who who our country is. Right. And I wanted them to be human i wanted them to doubt and wonder and because they had to have been with everything going on in the our own country fighting against itself i just i wanted them to be human
2: absolutely and the last you know part of your story the very final section takes place between july 1st and 3rd of 1863 which was the pivotal part of the war with the battle of gettysburg and the day following, Lincoln gives his Gettysburg Address, which is, of course, known to most of us here as a huge, important part of history. But a lot of people don't really, I mean, I, even I, as somebody who's really studied this area era of history, I don't really think about the, the battle. I really think about the after. I think about the the address and about what it meant for the time period. But you really dove into those three days of battle, or four days of battle, and and really the effect that it had on the soldiers and, and really what was happening, and specifically with um, Thomas and Nicholas, the brother, and just their relationship and what happened during this time with the different generals and whatnot. What was that like? How hard was that to write specifically of the battles and not the, the after effects, and the, the good parts, of course, that everybody else sees, the after effects? So how, what was that like <laughs> writing that part?
0: It was terrifying. I I remember the thing my brain connected to was the idea of Cemetery Ridge. It's one of the areas they go during the battle. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if someone told me I had to go to Cemetery Ridge to fight a battle, I wouldn't be feeling really good about my odds. Like that really, the name of it even (laughs) hit me. That It's like Cemetery Ridge, Um, okay, I don't think this is going to go well. Um, So I think that's part of it, that it really, I just kept thinking, if I were there, and how war changes you, war is ugly. And how war must change you, even with your moral choices, like, well, I'm killing, I'm killing for the country, and maybe if I have some issues with someone, I mean, where do you draw the line? A kill for my country or a kill for my own needs? Or I just imagine the conflict that must come with that. Um, again, in my imagining of it. Um, and these aren't things i think about every day so it it was it was fascinating to think about but and again as we said early in the when we first started talking challenging because i hadn't done historical fiction um but i think at the end of the day we all want to write stories about people and how they're affected by life and making tough decisions that aren't pretty and sometimes we make them wrong but we make them for the what we think are the right reasons at the time. So I think that was the part I focused on because if I would have focused on, oh no, if I don't show them going north and they actually went northwest, someone's going to be like, what is she doing? So <laughs>
3: um
0: I I really tried to focus again on the human aspect of it and not get overwhelmed with all the details and and how much mm-hmm. this actual battle meant to the war.
2: Absolutely, and that's something important to point out as well for all of the stories. Is that even though this is historic fiction, um, I know a lot of readers are turned off by it when they hear the word historical. Oh nope, not reading that. These really are not facts, you know, driven stories. These they really does tell a story that transcends through time. It's it's not anything like any historic novel that, you know, most people would have picked up in the past. So, you know, just like you said here, it's not an emphasis on the facts or the what happened. It's it's the time period and the the way that you guys were able to Mm -hmm. emulate what was going on with the inside of our characters and as well as, you know, what was... Reflected throughout society at the time in the different areas, so it's definitely a huge, huge change. You know, in each story. So, you know, I definitely don't want readers, you know, just to think, oh, this is historical and place it in that category because it's it's so much more than just another historical novel. It's, it's really, really a lot deeper than just that. But my last question for you, Tia, is I want to talk about Thomas's wife. Thomas's wife is named Cassandra, aka Casey. I don't know if you guys are catching on to our theme here, but um, so. Cassandra is a little bit interesting. She's she's really a firecracker. She really helps move Thomas's story it around is. along, and she really I, I liked her a whole lot. So tell me a little bit about your experience of writing for Cassandra and about her inspiration for her character. I can really only imagine who. Uh, I can't well,
0: <laughs> You just said the word firecracker. I think we all know where firecracker came from.
3: <laughs>
0: I think Casey's raising her hand right now. And, um,
3: <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I will say
0: look, Casey is, Cassandra, you know, um, is, is Casey? I mean, I needed a bright light. I needed for Thomas to have that bright light, something that would just remind him what life was really about and what what he should focus on, and a brightness. And if Casey's not brightness and firecracker and and just a light, that was that really did inspire that character. I wanted Casey to be his his lighthouse, his way home, his hope.
3: Before mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you know
0: you're gonna cry <laughs> at some point before the star thing is over.
3: I'm volunteers, kid, you Wow.
2: <laughs> well, as you guys can see, Tia's story is definitely a another one that pulls on your heartstrings. These are all really touching stories, so it's it's a really, really special collection that you guys have put together. But I'm really, really excited to talk about our part four that was written by my dear friend, Kelly Risser. Kelly, you are, I got to tell you, I I've, I've messaged you after I read your part, and I was particularly upset that it ended because I really, really needed more. It was all, uh, I definitely <laughs> want to see you write more in this time period. So, Kelly, your story, and well, okay, so I mentioned before that I have read from some of you guys in the past. So I mentioned that I've worked with Kelly a little bit with our work with Clean Team Publishing, um, who you're published through. And I read most recently your short story that was in the Twist and Time anthology, which was a very, 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 very different kind of writing. And I'm familiar with your Never Forgotten series and the other works that you've done. But this was something that was totally apart from what I've seen from you in the past. And it was just amazing to see how you – pulled in this era and did this. Now, your story takes place uh, January third, 1930, in Chicago, Illinois, when this starts out, and you're actually from that area. So, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your experience and why this time period, why Chicago, why 1930, and what did you have to do for research?
4: Sure. Well, I have to say the 1920s are a fascinating time to me, just because it's kind of a A decade of many contrasts you know there were the flappers and there was jazz music and the elegance of the period but then there also was prohibition and so you had these kind of dingy seedy places that people would go to people were making bathtub gin Um, and then of course in the Chicago area you had a lot of um, corruption and mob activity mainly at the hand of Al Capone and now I grew up in the Milwaukee area But I can tell you that all throughout the state of Wisconsin, Al Capone is very infamous as well because he would often go into northern Wisconsin for um, hiding out when he needed to. So, I mean, this era has kind of been something in the back of my mind, something I've been interested in pretty much my whole life. Um, I also, my grandmother had been a young woman in the 1920s. So for me, I had that personal tie, too. So just a lot of things that drew me to that era. Why I specifically chose nineteen thirty is because, of course, the stock market crashed, and so we're starting to see this change happening, but it's not um the full great depression yet, right, so it's a very, very <laughs> interesting period of history right
2: yeah, and, and another one you know the twentieth century it there's it's arguably the most confusing and fast paced century that <laughs> ever happened in human history i mean we start out the century with very much a low-key society and within the first 10 years the first decade of the century we're flying we're traveling across oceans and steamships and cruise lines and if by the you know m- new millenniums hit i mean think about the huge revolution we experienced just within that hundred year period and you're right in the middle of such a time the stock market had just crashed not what four months prior to this so I mean, it's it's a huge, huge change um, with, you know, and, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, well, you know, the Great Depression was in great swing, but a lot of people don't seem to realize that the effects of the depression really were, they trickled on. It didn't really happen at the date. So, you know, at this time period in Chicago, things really weren't as bad as they would become. So it was definitely a, a very challenging and it was a scary time for people. You know, I, you know, your characters, the depression really doesn't, um, come into effect as much in the story in this point as I think it would several years later. Um, But your characters uh, really kind of focuses on the character of Nicole um, a little bit more than Tommy, um, which we'll get there in a second. But so tell me, since the story kind of starts out with your character, Nicole, which again, inspiration, hello. um, Tell me a little bit about (laughs) Nicole, uh, her background. And Nicole, like I said, this one's a little different because we start out with Nicole instead of Thomas and his reincarnation or as you would have it at this point. So tell me a little bit why it was important to really focus the story on Nicole at this point.
4: Sure. Um, For me, Nicole is such a fascinating character because she is a single parent, which being a single parent, I think is hard at any period of history, but Um, Obviously, I would think at the start of the Great Depression or even right before any, you know, in that time period, especially very male dominated, to be a single mother trying to make a living and take care of your child was very, very difficult. So she had that piece. But on top of that, Nicole had come from Wisconsin to Chicago with big dreams, big dreams that changed when she got pregnant with her son. So... um, She's got this whole background, but she's not one to, like, wallow in it. You know, she doesn't feel sorry for herself. She just does what she needs to do to get things done, and she always puts her son first. So just as a character, I really admire her because I think she's got a lot of gumption. She's got a lot of pride in herself and in her son, um and I do think our Nicole in many ways, I pulled in her personality. I think you know she's a really strong person she does she 's so family oriented does so much with her girls, and I think you know that really comes through
2: in the Nicole in my story as well. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you guys there. Uh so, you know, you already mentioned that Nicole does have a son in this novel. She's a or in this story short story here. She's a single parent here. Um, Frankie, her son, he is a very interesting little guy who really, really helps the flow and direction <laughs> of the story a lot. Um, it's it's really you know, we talked how Tia's really dealt with, tia's story really dealt with a family Theme, but yours also really, really dives deep into the family theme as well. But it's a it's a different kind of family theme. You really you test the dynamics, and you're right. This time period, it's it's very, I mean, not only looked down upon, but single women, you know, living on their own and trying to support a a child, they were really looked down upon. There wasn't really any help for them. They they really. You did everything on your own, so it really you're right for her to Nicole to go out and you know have a job and be able to support her son, and, and they do. You know they they seem to be pretty pretty happy, pretty they have it have it together. You know, um, so it it really was interesting to see that and as a as a male reader who has you know learned a lot about different time periods and all this and that and the other to see that you know a strong female character in a time period where you generally wouldn't be able to see such a thing. It was really really a interesting experience for me as well. So. With writing Frankie, particularly, Frankie really, really plays a huge role in this novel. Was that planned all along, or did that kind of happen as the story went on?
4: I'm not a planner at all, so I would say that um, it sort of organically grew. I knew that I wanted Nicole to have a son and be a single mother, but um, Frankie's role kind of grew, I think, throughout the story. But to me, he represents... um, you know he's just he's so innocent and so um such a happy kid and so kind of grounded and I think you know that too is just another testament to how strong of a character Nicole is to to give him that foundation um and then of course, to have Tommy come into the story and have him be in such awe of him um I think you know that was just fun that's a fun piece to write, but you know. It's kind of like his idol, and it was really cool to see that
2: relationship develop. Right. And that was one of the great things about it. So I haven't mentioned Tommy yet. So in this story, Thomas is Tommy Two Guns, which is his fighting name. He is the middleweight boxing champion of the area. So he's a big name, big celebrity superstar of the time. And he is Frankie's idol, absolute idol. Frankie's obsessed with Tommy. And it's really a, it's actually how Nicole recognizes him as Nicole. uh, You write that Nicole had actually taken Frankie to a fight once um, to see, just to see Tommy, but since they really didn't have the money, they were so far away that Nicole felt bad that they had to sit so far away from the ring, but it didn't even matter to Frankie how far away or if they could see him or not. It was just the fact he could be there with his idol just to see him fight. And then for you to introduce him as such a huge, character in Frankie's life. That's such a touching and emotional story. I just... That was awesome. I definitely think that was just fantastic to do that. Now, in this one, Frank... Uh, I'm sorry. Tommy, he's a little different. So we see a, a whole different side of Thomas that we haven't quite seen up to this point. Thomas is a very... um it's just he's a little different so I feel like throughout the story we see Thomas (laughs) kind of evolve into different things and and especially in the next one we'll get to with a whole different ball game but so I mean (laughs) talk to me a little bit about why you chose a middle uh, I just lost my word here a middleweight boxing champion why the boxing scene you know talk a little bit about your experiences with the boxing research and the the mobster research and what that process is like
4: Sure. Um, you know, that's a good question. Why did I choose a boxing theme? I think just because it was interesting to me and I liked the idea that he's on the cusp of, um, being a celebrity, right? I mean, if you're into boxing, you know, his name quite well, if you're not, you probably could pass him on the street and not really know who he is. So, um, from that perspective, it was kind of a cool profession for him to have. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's, Dealing with some demons, you know, um, he didn't have the easiest of childhoods, and so he's a he's a little bit broken, I think, in the story, and and so that um, something that kind of draws him draws him to Nicole, I think, and Frankie too. So
2: absolutely, and, and I know I like missing you part
4: of your question. So <laughs> what was the second half?
2: <laughs> oh, I don't really remember. I should I should have stopped because it, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. You guys should feel free to yell at me and tell me to stop, because I'm so excited. I just want to keep asking. I've been holding these questions in for months, guys, months. He asked So he asked me, but it was like, yeah, like I know, right? And popular. then when I asked, I was like, whenever I'd ask a question, you guys, oh, save it for the show. So here I am. I'm like, oh, great. i got to ask all these, and I keep forgetting them now. It's fine. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> so one of the more interesting aspects of, of your particular story, Kelly, is that I don't want to say Thomas doesn't have any problems because that's absolutely not true. But his problems really don't stem from anything until he meets Nicole and Frankie. Does that make sense? Like, he's not, it's not, it's they're really the ones who bring his his story to fruition. So as we've mentioned, you know, Tommy kind of had a a hard growing up, and, and Frankie has clearly not had the greatest of growing up. So it's really a big deal for, the relationship that Nicole and Frankie do develop that, you know, Frankie becomes a father figure to him. So it's such a pivotal part of Frankie's life to have someone (laughs) like Tommy in it. And that really, like, again, with the family, this it's, it's a whole different situation. You know, even, you know, speaking of this time period, this is a very, very strange and, and different setup, but it worked so perfectly for this story that Tommy was really, so mature and responsible that he was able to, you know, take on this family that he, you know, found and fell in love with Nicole and then really does the family thing. You know, how do you feel like that affected Thomas as a, as a whole, even considering his, his past lives. And uh, we're going to get into this a little towards the end, but in relation to the story prior to now, Thomas's other three lives, how do you feel like this incarnation really changed his psyche? So to speak,
4: I think, he wasn't realizing that he was missing something until he discovered what he was missing in this, in this story. So, you know, I think he didn't realize the things he could do. Um, And in some cases he does just act without thinking about it too. You know, he, he does a few things, especially at the beginning of the story where he just kind of jumps in because he feels like it's the right thing to do. I just feel like he's a very, um, he has very strong morals and um he's just kind of been put into situations throughout his whole life in this story. So I think mm-hmm. he's reali he's realizes in this story what impact he can have and how he can make a difference um to Nicole and Frankie. So he's he he becomes much stronger throughout the story.
2: Absolutely. And I guess my, my last question so I don't get too spoiler spoilery here, is that a
3: word? with
2: this. Um, Kelly, your story is really the only one that didn't leave me wanting to cry my eyes out. So (laughs) what was different? Um, Okay, well, how do I ask this? Do you guys know each other's Finale's before you wrote your stories, or was Kelly missing something at that point? Or tell me a little bit about the way you wrote your ending, Kelly, in relation to everybody else, because I feel like you missed a meeting or something. (laughs) I may have missed a meeting.
4: No. (laughs) I marched to the beat of my own drum.
2: (laughs) Very much. So, Um, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, yours does not end on the the sad, upsetting note. You really, it's the one of the stories, it really kind of gives you hope that things are looking up for poor Thomas and and then maybe not so much in the next story. But so before Nicole crashes everything down again, I mean, it was was a really nice reprieve for a moment. So I just, that was really interesting. I really wanted to hear your thoughts on that.
4: We didn't know each other's stories before we wrote our own. So um, we all were just writing our stories and that's just how mine happened
2: to go. (laughs) You other four, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> no, <Ooh. laughs> we,
1: didn't, we didn't even know each other's stories until we were done with the book.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> well,
3: <laughs>
2: or yeah, that though. really says something about you guys. You know this, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we oh my finished goodness. the conclusion.
1: Like, we, did, we didn't read each other's stories until we finished the conclusion. You were only allowed to read one, and that was the one with your name in it. <laughs>
2: So, the only person who got to read this one was Nicole, which really, yeah. really makes yeah. the next one interesting. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow,
2: guys. Oof. Okay. And it was well. perfect,
1: though. It was perfect. It was perfect. It did. Yeah. And it, and it really
2: flows. It really flows well to see, you know, the. I mean, like I said, I don't want to get with any spoilers here, but, you know, the stories, mm-hmm. I mean, they obviously end, and Thomas has to die in each lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to go about his life and continue, you know, things going on. So, it was really nice to see that at least in some aspects of all the things that Thomas goes through that there is uh somewhat it's it's not all bad. You know, you do see that he he was happy yeah. and there is a a positive point to his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we
1: didn't want it to cloud our judgment.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want to see that <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not I gonna mean, touch we, that. That's too much for <laughs> uh, Yeah, Well uh, yeah <laughs> <intended.
3: So> <laughs> <laughs> our final night
2: story night. <laughs> our you final know. time period now there there are seven <laughs> parts of seven but there are five of the short stories and then there are, we'll get into the next parts in a little bit our last time period was written by Nicole and it takes place <laughs> Brooklyn, New York, August 12th, 1995 so of all the time periods Nicole is definitely the most contemporary but it's also one of the more interesting ones cultural wise because even as when I read it and saw the time period, I didn't really think it could be that different. But it really opened my eyes to how much society has changed in twenty years. So just as a uh, <laughs> just to say, I was not even four years old at the time that Nicole's story takes place.
3: So <laughs>
2: when I think back on this time period, all I remember is. Not not a lot, so you know, I was barely walking and going to that <laughs> throw on my own, and these things are happening on the streets of Brooklyn, so it's it's a big change, so, Nicole, I want you first just talk about why you chose this time period, and even though, you know, you guys lived it and, you know, have a little bit more experience with it, I know you had to do some research. Talk to me about that process a little bit.
1: Um. So, I did. I Obviously, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up on the streets of Brooklyn, um, but... <laughs> I, um I <laughs> I love the 90s even though I lived part of it it actually is kind of my favorite um it, it it's so a mix up of so many things like so much was going on culturally music um just the the, the world was was changing and it was a time when um there was like you said there, you know, if you lived in a certain area, you didn't know what was going on in the streets of Brooklyn. So um, there was so much going on in different areas. Um, But I grew up in a not so great area um, even though it wasn't there. And I saw the harsher things that were going on. So I kind of related to that too. Um, So it, although it was easy for me to write, it was still hard in the sense of, you know, a different area. And my character You know, it's a a guy um, in, you know, on the streets and doing things that weren't good. Um, And so, although I could relate in the sense of seeing it, I, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be, you know, a drug dealer or anything like that. So, um, so it was fun for me. It was a little hard, but it was more fun than anything. I liked (laughs) T-Dog. He was, um, he was not perfect at all, but I, I felt like he was real. Um, and it was just, it it was exciting and fun for me to do. And like you pointed out that nobody knew what each other was writing. So I liked that in the end it was, um, it was kind of different too than, than some of the others.
2: Right. Absolutely. So before we get too far into T-Dog a little bit, I kind of wanted to read a paragraph that you'd written kind of describing the setting that, you know, just as you said, it's a very, not a great place in Brooklyn here. So you write that most everyone on the streets around them was a neighborhood local. Not many tourists ventured into this part of the hood. It wasn't the nicest area in town. In fact, it was one of the worst, and it didn't take long for outsiders to figure it out and return to where they came from. That made it easy to spot anyone that didn't belong, especially the thugs that may try to encroach on key dogs carefully. By the way, his shoulders were <laughs> set and his eyes were narrowed as he took everything in. She could tell he was looking for rival gang members who didn't belong. So... You can see right there as soon as we meet Thomas or T Dog, as he's known in this incarnation, that he is definitely not the wholesome, good natured, you know, Thomas that we meet on the streets and say, Hey, what up? Because based mm-hmm. on our other ones, he's a whole different Thomas. So I I wanna hear this T Dog story for one. But two, I want you to talk about that specifically, why T-Dog and why why that scene? Why is it important that we see the the drugs, the harsher language, the that kind of environment in this last story?
1: Um, I well for me, I feel like that was like I said I kind of grew up around some of that, so that was that was the reality of of what a lot of people were going through in that time. It was harsh. Um, the harsher language, the the hard exterior, um, you know, the way that you live your life. But for me, in developing the character too, um, he needed he needed to to be that to then be something else later, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just, you know, I I don't know. That was for me. He was who spoke to me. I'm I'm like Kelly. I don't plan a lot. I just kind of write what what feels good. And um, I just kind of wrote the first line, and uh, that line in the first part of my section is the first line that I wrote, and that kind of told me who who he was going to be um, after, of course, our, our powwow at Utopia where T-Dog was actually born. Um, but uh, he needed to be a rough guy. He needed to um, to be that guy on the street so that as his character unfolded, it, it made sense. And as the story itself went on, the next section, um, it, it, it kind of you know, led to what
2: happened. Of course. Right. It's it's definitely a it ends of the band. We'll just put it that way. So uh,
4: so tell us
2: I want to hear the t dog story. What's what's the what's the lowdown on that one?
4: Um well,
1: um, so everyone, you know, can kind of chime in here if they would like to to <laughs> but um but I don't even know. We were we were talking and um we we were talking about his his we came up with Tom Thomas first, I think, right? And then mm-hmm. um P Dog and I, I don't even know. <laughs> when you chose the nineties, I don't know, we just started throwing names out there P Dog
3: stuff.
1: P Dog like a Nate almost dog. like a joke or a dare. <laughs> She's like, I can roll yeah. that.
3: Yeah.
1: I mean it's cause, cause it like I said, like... I kind of go ahead, sorry. Yeah, everybody calls each other dog and Holmes and you know Bra. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Like I said, I grew up
1: with that. I mean, in my house, um, we we listen we listen to '90s rap and hip hop all the time. Um, I, I totally probably don't look like that, but um, I could recite like all of Snoop Dogg's lyrics. <laughs> my husband and I like to do Warren G and Nate Dogg often, so. Um, I kind of, you know, it, it kind of just, you know, it, it's just a thing. It, it just rolled off, and it was good. But when we were talking about it, it sounded right. So, I, you know, it, I, I wrote it. In my opinion, I wrote it. I wrote it pretty well. <laughs> he totally was a I definitely
2: agree. <laughs> like I said, I yes, was, I was only well. three and a half at the time, so I don't remember <laughs> this. But I, I very much. This is exactly how I picture the streets of New York in 1995. Exactly. So it's the 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 damp, dark, but then the bright colors and the the music. And that was really that's another thing. You really did tie in a lot of music. You talk about ice cube and different bands and their music and stuff, you know, that are included playing at parties and various things like you really did tie in a lot of the culture. I mean, I was
1: still young at that time, too. But I remember, I mean, just culture was was a huge thing. thing. Um, Brands, music, you know, all of that kind of defined a person at the time. So I tried to tie that in so that anybody that grew up in that time would would relate to that. And, like, I think everyone has said it so far, is making the character um, a real person and, and being able to relate to them and it not being about the time of the story as much as the character's.
4: Um, in that time,
2: right, and, and that's why I would argue that you had one of the more difficult time periods to write in because most people who are reading this would have been around during that time period. So there's going to be a lot yeah. that they're going to be trying to relate to, and they're they're going to see that. So it was it was really really interesting to see a one of the novel or one of the settings that was set in a time where I mean I guess it's the only time period that any of us were alive (laughs) during I suppose so that's got to be you know nerve-wracking to know oh gosh all four of these girls lived this time period so I got to get this right so and you did a great job with it. Thank you. Well so one of the more interesting parts like you mentioned before with your T-Dog was his you know he had this hard exterior and you know, he was really a, a smart, intelligent man, you know, on the inside and all, you know, had all this, a whole different person, you know, in public and private. But his friend, uh, Tia, and mm-hmm. this one, mm-hmm. uh, we really, uh, another, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Tia was really, really, really interesting in the sense that unlike the other four stories, this isn't really as much a love story. It, it, it is in a sense, but It's really just a strong relationship between two people that, you know, it's not exactly what you make it out to be. And and our characters are really struggling with their place in each other's lives. Throughout this whole story, we really see a lot of it from Tia's point of view, again, like we did with Kelly's. This one's really more focused on Tia and her life as a result of Thomas and his actions in this time Mm -hmm. period. So you wrote a very, very, very strong female character, but she's very... She has a lot to learn about life at this time mm-hmm. what what do you, what are your ta- what's your take on that? What was your experience of writing tia and how what was your inspiration for her because i, I gotta say i I'm not so sure I see as much of tia as I do in this girl here' cause, <laughs> come on tia <laughs> unless well, you got something you want to talk about to be, this is who I in want
0: to be. Opinion. I aspire to be her <laughs> so, well, well, and, and so in my
1: for Tia in the book I mean she's she's kind of she's not this super you know overpowering walk into a room and you know everybody sees her but she has a subtle um a subtleness to her that she's kind of calming and um and and relaxing and that's that's what T Dog needs obviously based on how he is and um so I I feel like they are young so that makes it a little bit harder because they don't have these um years behind them to build their personalities yet but um but the real tia to me is 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 kind of like that too like she's she's not this like overpowering um person at all but she makes a huge impact if you know her you know just the subtleness the the quiet calming um you know, person, and and so I I do I do see similarities actually between the two of them. Um, I hope that that's okay with Tia. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but yeah, she needed to be. T Dog is 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 rough and, and hard, and um, he someone like him wouldn't, in my opinion, wouldn't have, have been well for him. He needed right. someone that was um, the opposite of him, and uh, and that's what Tia was. And and like you said, they weren't in a relationship like the rest <laughs> of so the young. So they're yeah so they're not married yet um but in order for his character to be who he is i mean he it had to be that way he couldn't have you know been married and settled down and you know two point five kids or anything like that because well, that wasn't who he was right
2: and you know the the more interesting thing about t dog's story in this incarnation was really that we don't really see I don't, I don't want to say we don't see him change but he really mm-hmm. he is himself and he is just more of himself as the story goes on and as a reader you see because we all know this person we all know that mm-hmm. person who has to put off that exterior and they, they really aren't like that you know and they they get around their closer mm-hmm. friends or in a relationship and, and they change they're not that's not them and we've all seen that person and it's it's something we're all able to really relate to but in the end it's just um not gonna spoil it, but it's it's really mm-hmm. it's rough. You know, some stuff goes down, and it really really changes both of their lives in the biggest of ways that you really <laughs> see. You know that he is. I, I, I don't I don't know. It's. Not, I don't really see that. You, you know, he's not the. He doesn't change as a person, but you. Everybody else kind of finally sees him as what you want him. That was what t s saw him, so to speak, and right. it's really 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 touching. Uh, yeah, heartbreakingly so to see how this story ends, and and I, I mean it's really almost like a soap opera for a little bit because it's very very <laughs> fast paced and very very dramatic. This one is really bam 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 bam. So, um, what are you hoping? What, what's the reaction that you've received so far from early readers or from your peers? What what are people saying about this incarnation of Thomas? Um, well,
1: from you know, obviously the group, I've got fabulous, um, you know, remarks from everyone, which, of course, makes me all happy. And after they tell me stuff, I, you know, go tell my husband um, all the nice things people say. <laughs> but um, um, from every it, – it totally just makes my day. But um, I, I'm i still a nervous writer. So when, when I write something, um, I do definitely get really nervous about what, what kind of feedback I'm going to get. Um, and as far as the group, it's always fabulous because they're honest with me and and we work so well together. So whenever the book, you know, gets published, I usually feel pretty good about it. Um, and as far as the early readers, I mean, the feedback we've gotten in in, most of it has been pretty general about the entire story. Um, but I, I feel like what I wanted to happen is what the feedback that we're getting back um, for each of us. So Mm -hmm. I'm. I feel like I did what I intended to do and that everyone is getting from it what I wanted. Um so far,
2: we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow, I guess, but yeah, I'm telling we'll you, I don't think tomorrow. that I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed by how we wrapped up this one. You guys really did a phenomenal job. I mean, just the layout of, of the stories, like I said before, each one kind of leading into the next and the different sins and different trials that Thomas experiences in each lifetime. We've kind of avoided talking about the sins specifically for obvious reasons. Um but even mm-hmm. I gives it you guys never explicitly state, you know, oh, this is the sin that you are struggling with or this is the reader really has to interpret a lot. And especially the reader doesn't really have any insight as to what's happening it really just kind of starts and then you don't really find out until the end so it's really Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain so for me as a reader I was trying to figure out each character well what sin did they envelop and what what was what was their problem well what was this and and it was really a struggle for me to think oh well this is the one sin oh well they were maybe they were committing this one and and really, like I could see this of every sin in every character. So, and I guess that's just me seeing the worst at everybody. But I was like, wait a minute, what is she trying to say with Tommy? Because, or what is she trying to see with T Dog? Or what, what is it? Because I'm seeing all of these sins, and this is this is crazy. So, and like you said, T Dog is not a character that that I would ever associate with. So it was crazy that I found myself caring so much for his character and his story by the end, as someone who is living such a different lifestyle than than I and And I would go to say most readers that are going to be reading this novel that have experience, that are living that life. So it's a very, very different kind of lifestyle. And it was really, really interesting to see that. And I definitely think that Yay. readers are going to respond well to it, <laughs> for sure.
4: Well, I like but, that. But yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like the, I think all of us like doing, obviously, based on how we write um, together, right. that we like doing things that aren't the norm and predictable and that everyone exactly so that's like a huge compliment for me <laughs> well, well, and as I'm a pa- reader, i like to read things that aren't cookie cutter you know i like right. to read things yeah. that are different and that make me think and that make me question you know things about life and about people and you know it's just i, I just like different things I, I like stuff that goes out of the box so
3: this one well, is definitely out oh. of the box <laughs> <laughs> got it. Really far, really
1: far. Really far. <laughs> <laughs> back in. Yeah.
2: You guys put boxes on different continents, and then just said, "Yeah, I don't think you'd get much further than the boxes you guys placed in this
1: one." <laughs> right. Can't get you there. Way, it. way
2: out of the box. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it for the five individual stories. So we're gonna go back to more of the group as a whole now. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I don't really know how to ask questions about part six and seven. So rather than <laughs> push you guys for info. I want one of you guys, uh, Joe, I'll just start with you again. Talk to me about part six. Talk to me about part seven and why, who wrote them, how they were written, and why they are important, and no spoilers. <laughs> I will do my best.
1: Um, part six is judgment, obviously, Um It's where Thomas comes before the women that he spent his lives with, and he has to face everything he went through. And they, you know, talk about what happened. So you you don't get a rehashing. We were very careful not to do that and, like, redump the info. Um, You get insight into things you may not have seen. Now, I know that you noticed that Casey's part is written in two points of view. Mine is written in the male point of view. Tia's is written in the male point of view. Kelly's is from the females, and Nicole's is from the females. We didn't plan that. Mm Um, we were given basic parameters and turned loose, basically. So,
3: so <laughs> I know. Oh, wow. Crazy.
1: Yeah. So by the time we got to that conclusion, you're seeing things that the author was thinking as they were writing the story that didn't end up in the story because of the questions that were asked. Remember, we didn't read each other's stories, so there were some very unique questions that came out of there. I read Casey's because she wrote Josephine. So I had questions about things like what was the drive behind uh, Thomasis's action here or here, and she was the one who could answer that. And then uh, Kelly was the one who read mine, so she was asking me questions about things that, you know, the woman was thinking. Like we were we were really playing off of each other a lot in that part because we wanted to flesh the story out the rest of the way. He had questions, they had questions, you know, everything had to be out in the open in order for anything to happen there. So – it was just it, – it was a different experience, not just a different kind of like a book, but it was a different experience to write that book because right. we just did it without even knowing what the other person
3: was doing. And for it to come off the way <laughs> it did it,
1: we were just like – every single one of us, I think, said, holy crap. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
3: that,
1: that's awesome. And um, I'm going to actually let Kelly answer you
4: about part seven because that was her brain job.
3: Go for it, Kelly. <laughs>
4: All right. How do I answer about it without giving too much away? Um, I guess the biggest thing I can say is we were um, – it's it's really giving some more backstory, right? So um, in thinking about who are these women and what is their purpose, I think it kind of comes up through that story. And that's what that was created for. And we had a few different renditions of it. We kind of went back and forth on what we wanted to do with it. Um, The one thing I really like about all of us is that we do get into some really great discussions and dialogue, and you never feel um, bad or afraid to bring anything up. I mean, anything can go on the table, right? So we had a lot of talk um, and dialogue around that backstory, and then um, kind of flushed it out, and between Joe and I, I think mostly, we refined a lot of that and then sent it to everybody else to look at, Um, and that's just kind of there as a little bonus, but how nice that it makes it seven parts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, seven is really significant for the story as a whole, as you guys, I'm sure everybody's picked up by now, because of the seven deadly sins that Thomas faces during his various um uh, lifetimes. We've got sloth and gluttony, and we've got uh, pride, we've got, I'm scrolling through here, greed and envy, and wrath, and, oh, where's the last one? Where to it go? Last. Yes. Last. So... Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big one.
3: <laughs> so <laughs>
2: yeah. talk to me, guys, a little bit. One of my biggest questions was, I know you guys didn't see each other's stories, but in your initial meetings, and Tia, I want you to cover this for me, in your meeting, did you guys divide up the sins, or was that random too?
0: So again, in this, I see this moment so clearly in my head, and it's it was so beautiful. We're sitting in the hotel room. I know exactly who I was sitting next to, where I was, and and we just started throwing around all these ideas, and part of it was once we figured out we wanted to cover the seven deadly sins. Was obviously there's five of us, and there's seven sins, <laughs> so we knew we had to double up on some. So it was it was discussion about which ones naturally went together, and who wanted what, and um, I believe Nicole was pretty quick to jump on lust. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> so it was just. to fight it out. No, I wanted that one. It we just kinda naturally mm-hmm. picked the ones we picked and I think it had a lot to do with the the errors that we already had in our mm-hmm. head and so that mm-hmm. was the really cool part of it is it just fell into place. There was never a moment of, you know, somebody sulking in the corner like I'm the one who wanted pride, you know. It just <laughs> it just it just worked. I, I wish I wish all of my life worked like this. That's, that's all I
2: could
3: say. <laughs>
2: Definitely. So another interesting part about parts six or is this part seven? I I'm, I'm in my book right now and I'm I'm kinda trying to flip the actual trial itself, you guys broke the individual trials up into sections, just as though you did your mm-hmm. five individual parts of your story. Now preceding each trial of that character, you guys included quotes that kind of reflected a little bit on that character's story and the <laughs> trial they were about to face. So let's see. Uh, Nicole, talk to me a little bit about the quotes. Where did you guys get the quotes from, and was that why was that important?
1: Um, actually, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that. <laughs> um, um, who, who, uh, somebody? <laughs> hold on. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I just um, went oh, – who came up with the quote? Joe, Joe did. <laughs> Joe, I think, right? So I think yeah, yeah
2: no, I, I wrote, not, I wrote Joe them. Has like a, a yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, Joe, them. what's up? Talk
1: to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I, I sat here and I thought out of the out of the sins that were committed and what what lessons would I want someone to take away from that book? So all the all the quotes that are in there are original and they're all from me. Um, the last one in the last part, section seven, is Kelly's. She wrote that quote. Um, but it was like these were the things we're trying to communicate to you in this book. They're they're the things that are at the heart of it. Um, they're about judgment and um, envy and pride and accepting other people and um, you know regret and showing your personality and who you truly are. And, and it's just it's just things who I would, I would I really want people to take away from the story. Right. So that's where those came from.
2: and yeah, Well, and that's why I, I highlighted every one of them, because the quotes were great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, these are perfect. Where yeah, did you here. find these? I had no idea these were original mm-hmm. quotes. So I uh, I definitely need to make some quote art for uh, quoting Joe Michaels now. <laughs> this is going to be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: we're going to get you on T-shirts, Joe. That's going to be nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. So, Casey, I want you to talk to me a little bit about when you guys wrote these trials did you guys each write your own trial for your own story and also what was it like writing the other side you guys really like you mentioned before um that we really see more of the story in the trials we see what happens after the story ended to see what happens to our characters what was that like and how was that experience and did it change your views of your original story to have to go back and write the after part um the
1: the ending and the judgment is very unique. so, for instance, I wrote Thomas and Josephine in Agent Rome. I did not come up with his judgment. Um, Joe did. Um, right. The woman who was named after the female character got to judge the story. So it was just yeah, it's very neat. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's why we didn't. That's why we exchanged stories with only the person whose name was in our story, and um, we didn't know the outcome until it was all finished. So it it was very unique and it was it was fun for us to read each part and then um read the part where our names uh were involved and then come up with a judgment and and it just made the story that much um more intimate and and, and intertwined mm-hmm. everything so well.
3: Oh wow.
2: See that even just further <laughs> agrees with what I said earlier about the writing style <laughs> that you guys have. It's so <laughs> Together, that I would have never even assumed that. That's crazy that you guys just ran them. This is such a unique project. I really hope that people (laughs) understand that while they're reading this. This is really a a -a (laughs) one-of-a-kind situation that could not work unless you had the perfect group of writers to do this. So it's, wow, crazy. So I, I guess that... I can't even ask the questions I want to ask now because that just completely <laughs> changed my. You just blew my mind right now because whoa! Okay. I really need. To, I'm going to be messaging somebody later. It's fine.
3: Um, <laughs> we're, we're going to be talking. It's fine.
2: So on that note, Joe, you're the one I haven't asked anything this one for. What was the decision to use each other's names? What was that about?
3: <laughs> well, we asked the right <laughs> girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
1: said, how about we write the person who's sitting to our left right now? And so
0: I can tell
3: you, (laughs) by
1: looking at the stories, you can see who was sitting to everybody's left. (laughs) 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 Um, And that, you know, we we had to change the spelling of some of the names, obviously, to fit the the era, but... Right. I mean, it was so much fun because you were also able to draw off that person's character like I did with Kelly. I, it was so fun to write, like, a little piece of her. Like, I was just like, she is now immortal
2: on in print. You know
3: I mean? It's just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm just saying this meeting you guys had must have been awesome. I don't even remember where I was at at the time. But next year, I need to be oh. in on this meeting apparently because <laughs> it nice. sounds awesome. <laughs>
1: I just remember that
2: (laughs) (laughs) it was a crazy week. I do remember when Kelly spent the afternoon we kept saying, oh, she's with her fractured glass girls. I remember the afternoon, but I don't even remember what I was doing at the time. So next year I'm following you guys around and just catching all the awesome. I'm just saying. (laughs) So without, and, and, (laughs) <laughs> this is going to be kind of hard because I want to talk about the themes of the novel. I really want to talk about our specific character of Thomas a little bit. And then for, to finish this out, i got some just fun questions for you guys. Now, I, I'm going to leave this open, so whoever really wants to touch on this one. Um, so obviously we've mentioned the story. It's It's a very deep story. It's not a surface-level thing at all. There's a lot of conflicting themes. There's a lot of morals we're getting out of this. Were you guys really expecting this deep of a novel? Whenever you started this process, or did this really grow as a, as you wrote, or or what was really what was your intention in starting this? And was it really how it ended? I
1: think that's a great question for Nicole because uh, she was the one with the idea about the the soul. <clears throat> um. So it, it's kind of funny. Um. I um. Initially, I just experienced to have fun with this group like um, when we wrote fractured glass it was obviously new and it's just fun and you know fabulous and it, something amazing came out of it but the process itself for me was actually better than the final product because it's just you know it's something for me forever that I'll have um, so I was super super excited about just getting together and writing another book um, It's it's encouraging I learned the whole time you know, so again, I just want another great experience. Um so when we first started and, and we started talking about things, uh, for me I could tell it was gonna be a little bit deeper. Um as the as the story progressed, um, I think it got it got way more intense and way more deeper than I anticipated it would. Um, again, I was I, I was like, you know, it'll be fun, it'll be amazing. Yeah. But it turned into, in my opinion, um, something really intense that I don't think I actually thought it would be that intense when we first started talking about it. Um, right. So that's that's just you know yeah. that's me and, and and it's amazing and I'm super super like it, it's it's an amazing book. Um, I knew it would be good. I knew it would be great, but um, it's a little bit more intense I think than I actually thought it would be.
4: Right. Yeah, Absolutely. blame it on Casey. And- <laughs> yeah, that's easy people.
2: For shame. So, again with it's it's really we we've, we've discussed this in the chat a lot. Um talking about the the big spoiler at the end and how it relates to the story and how the readers are going to react to such a thing. I I mean, we have talked about before. I've read a lot of books with a lot of twists and a lot of mystery aspects, I gotta say this is one that I did not see coming, ever. Not in the <laughs> from the first page, from any indication of any conversations I had with you guys. I did not see <laughs> Thomas being who Thomas was and the importance that Thomas had in the story. I really I, I was really not expecting it. So, Casey, <laughs> I want to hit you with this one particularly <laughs> mm-hmm. because me and you yep. have discussed this part of the novel. What um... Wow, what is your take yeah, on that? Yeah. What do you think? What what do you, what do you want to say about that? <laughs> I just I don't know how um, to question it. I don't know I'll how to phrase right the question.
1: I will say that when the book was, um, when we were sitting around the, our hotel room at Utopia, we knew that evening exactly what the twist was going to be, and we sort of um, planned for it. But I didn't. Yeah, she didn't just blurted it out. To,
3: no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't think it was going to be as important. She
1: it out, and everybody, everybody in the room goes, "Oh!" <gasps> <It was> like, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is that is
4: definitely yeah. true. <laughs> it,
1: it turned into something completely, um, something that I think surprised us all, though, with as oh, yeah. as deep uh-huh. and as shocking as it is. Um, but. I don't, I don't know what to say without giving it away, but it's, it's just <laughs> a, you won't see it coming. That's, no, not at all.
2: <laughs> and promise, once you discover no the spoiler, you're going to go back and read everything. You're going to want to see every little nuance. Oh, whoa, 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 where did this come from? It's, yeah. It's a, it's a huge change. And, and the reason I wanted to target specifically towards Casey is one you'll understand in the end, but it's just, uh, it's, it's it's different. Like I said, it's unlike anything that I have ever read, and I, I guarantee you that most readers have not experienced a shock like that before, so it was definitely a memorable reading experience for me for sure. I. Remember, I had to set my nook down. I was like, guys, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mind (laughs) blown. Like, I couldn't even wrap my mind around what had happened. It was just crazy. (laughs) So, And I remember that I actually messaged you guys in the chat and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. We're talking about this (laughs) right this moment. I don't care who's awake. Somebody talk to me because I can't believe this just happened. And you guys were so awesome to explain the situations to me so it was it was i i really hope that other readers have that same reaction so i hope i hope that people are blowing up your inboxes over the next few weeks because you guys yeah, you guys deserve it because it's it's a huge one so the last one that's a real big question. i really want to talk about before we get into a couple of fun ones i had i want to talk about thomas as a character as a whole so why the name thomas why wasn't important, and one of the big questions for me, and I know that this, if, if it comes out right, why was it important that Thomas was a male? Why, what would have been different if Thomas would have been written as a female in one of his incarnations? Is it, was that important? Was that, um, mm-hmm. is, was that planned, or just something along those lines as well? And then Thomas, just in relation to other, uh, just mankind as a whole, is this, was it specific for Thomas, or do you feel like this story could transcend to any person as a whole? So, um... Whoever wants to take that one can uh go wild. Well, uh, the
3: came
0: up with the yeah. name Thomas. Who well, did oh, that to say I think we threw it around because it was Thomas was somewhat of a generic name that we could manipulate mm-hmm. into the different eras.
4: Yeah, that, it had that, a yeah. lot of variations mm-hmm. to it.
0: You mm-hmm. know, whereas some yeah.
4: names you've only got like, you know, James and Jim, let's say. You know, Thomas right. is one that you can do many, many different versions. Like tea dog. Yeah.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> With his cat. <laughs> <Now>, uh-huh. <laughs>
2: oh my goodness. So what about the what about the gender specific part of that? Um Joe, do you want to it talk about to that for me?
1: No. I mean after what Casey said, it, it had to be a male. There was no <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's because when you, when you figure out the twist, you'll see why it had to be
3: right. um, a yeah. male. Um, right.
1: Right. But I think, as far as the story and the general um, theme, I think that this could apply to any person in um, mm-hmm. throughout history uh, today, anytime. Um, what Thomas goes through um, could happen to anyone. So I think it's important mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. that. Um, this is uh, a theme that can transcend, you know, gender, generations, everything.
2: Right. the The reason the 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 gender thing I found to be really interesting once I finished because it really was reflective on both me as a as a reader and as a male that I was able to you know really relate to the the struggles that Thomas was going through the different times and at the society you know changes that he was going through. But the only other what you're right. I definitely think it wouldn't have worked in this particular instance with a female, but there was one female in particular that I feel that the story very well could have turned to if you had done a female twist. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to spoil it or whatever, but uh, it's kind of the same vibe that we got off of Thomas. I feel like that we could have went with a female twist as well. So I think that this story, that there's a lot of potential for stories like this with different characters. And I I really just love how you guys were able just to integrate everything. So a huge kudos Mm -hmm. to you guys in the end. It was just, it was definitely just an amazing experience to read. And, you know, Thomas was it's really, it's a like I said, it's not a surface level read. You guys really put a lot of thought into this, and there's so much going on um, that shapes Thomas's life besides what's written on the page. You know, the societal pressure, yeah. the different time periods that's going on. It's there's a lot, so it's it's just crazy, and it was really awesome by you guys. Absolutely, don't have enough nice things to say about it. But to wind it down, I kind of had a couple of fun questions. Okay. So I only have three three of these questions here. Um, but I wanted to throw them out to you guys at random. So, Joe, first question I want to ask you Was there ever a time period considered where you guys wrote in the future? Um, Not yet. Not yet. Well, I mean, it's a pick, like a, a fictional time, <laughs> like the 22nd seven? century.
1: You mean for seven? No, we didn't even consider it.
2: Gotcha. So, Tia. If we were if one of you would have crafted a story written in two thousand and sixteen, what would have been different? What would that oh, story have wow. been
0: like? Wow, you <laughs> got me on this one. Let me think.
3: Um
0: <clears throat> no, I think I think again we would have because we tried to make it about the human factors and what we face, any of these sins and what Casey said and we've said going through is is human. We face them all every day. We've all faced if not all of them by now but most of them um so i think that the new spin would be the, you know the music and 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 the <laughs> political culture and 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 those things would change but i think you'd still see that the human story would come through i think that's that's what we're about that's what we all relate to in books that's what we love to read we want to find that relatable thing the thing that is at the core of all of us and i think that in that mm-hmm. way time doesn't affect it
2: Absolutely. I definitely agree with that completely. Definitely it's something interesting to think about that regardless of the two thousand years that the story goes through, that the same we're facing the same issues at a human level today as we were then. So it's it's definitely mm-hmm. thought provoking for sure. So for my last fun question I wanna ask Casey, uh, Nicole and Tia, uh, Kelly, I want to ask all three of you guys. So, if you were to travel to one of these time periods, which one would you pick, and why? And you cannot pick your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> where are you going?
1: <laughs> um, I would probably go um, into Tia's world in the Civil War era. I, I just I find it fascinating. I don't know. I just it draws me in, so that's probably
4: where I would go.
2: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, what about you? Where are you headed?
4: Elizabethan England. <laughs> I was I was right there with Joe on that one. That's another favorite period of mine. So yeah.
2: Nice and Nicole.
4: Um, I think I would go to the uh
1: twenties, thirties. Uh, I kinda like that, um, you know, music, um,
4: the clothes,
1: the fun, <laughs> um it's a little dangerous. Um, I kinda I, I like that. So I think I would go I would go there.
2: <laughs> the funny thing is is when I read Kelly's story, all I could think about was you guys and your flapper get up doing the <laughs> the lip singing at uh Utopia. So it. it totally fits. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time it totally How funny fit. How
3: fun was that? It was,
2: it was <laughs> awesome. You guys killed it. rocked it out. I, re- I loved it. Dang some, loved you. every second of it. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you guys have in store next, which really brings me to my last big question, guys. What's going on next? What are you guys planning for next year? Um, <laughs> I, I guess we'll we answer we, we that in
1: Utopia. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. What we can we do don't Utopia. know. <laughs> <laughs> we we can we can guarantee you that it will be nothing in the fractured glass world, and it will be nothing to do with seven, because we we yes. are, we're not repeaters. We like to do new things, and as much as readers right. have said they want more fractured glass, we're not we're not going to do it.
2: Gotcha. Well, I know that you had mentioned to me that that was something that you guys had really struggled with: was the decision not to, you know, mm-hmm. continue to do something new, and readers really wanted something more. So, it's it's really cool right. to see, you know, that you guys really did take that into consideration and really thought about it. But I'm I'm really kind of glad you guys went somewhere different because I really like where you guys went with this one. <laughs> Good.
3: <laughs> so
2: for everybody I'm else, so,
3: it.
2: Well, Of course, I oh yeah, my review is going to go up tomorrow. I'm going to wait until. Actual release day to get it all posted up, so you guys will definitely have to check it out. I promise there are lots of flails. It's uh, definitely going to be a five-star <laughs> read in my book, and there's a lot of exclamation points Yay. and a lot of, holy crap, I cannot believe this happened, Yay. and I can't spoil. And the whole thing, I've never had to put a review on Goodreads where you check it and say, check here if there's review contained spoilers. I've never done that. I will probably do that for the first time tonight. I will probably have to do it because yeah. I don't know that I can review this book and keep it spoiler free. I may have to write two reviews. <laughs> this one's for the public and this one's for the after readers. It's fine, no big deal.
1: Censored and uncensored. But like,
2: <laughs> but like <laughs> we mentioned before, so the book is releasing on ebook tomorrow, but it is already available in print. Is that correct?
3: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, Joe, is there anything else that readers need to know about the book release tomorrow? Is there the Facebook party? You guys want to tell me about that?
1: Um, I will actually let Nicole
2: tell you about that. Oh, Nicole, shoot at oh. it,
1: and then Kelly Kelly well. gets to talk about the swag. Um. Well, um, Facebook party all day. First of all, um, appearances by all of us randomly throughout the day, and then later in the evening, we'll all get together. Um, you know, to do one one hour of all of us at the same time. Um, I think all of us have some really cool uh games and prizes planned. Um, but we'll also do a big one. I'll post it um, e- either tonight or in the morning. That any you know anyone buys the book and they'll win a twenty-five dollar Amazon gift card, possibly. Um, nice. So buy the book, um, come play games. I-, I don't even know what everyone else is giving away, but I think it's like a ton of stuff. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well,
2: I know I will certainly be there partying alongside you guys. I'm excited. <laughs>
1: Well, (laughs) Kelly has some really awesome swag, and um, I would like for her to talk a little bit about how you can get hold of
4: one of those and what they mean. All righty, will do. So we did things a little different with this book than we did with Fractured Glass, and what we have is each of us has a unique charm that represents our story and our characters along with a character card so when you see us this year at different events different author and book events you can come up to us and we'll have those pieces of swag with us but we also have a necklace um, to collect all those charms on so anyone who leaves a review and then gives us the link to the review, um, we will send them out one of these necklaces. So it's a limited supply, first come, first serve, but all of those who get up their reviews early um, will be able to get a necklace.
2: Well, you know, I'm all about some unique swag, so that is an awesome mm-hmm. idea, and readers are going to jump all over that. <laughs> so real quick here to finish this out, guys, where can our readers find you here in the next few months? Are you guys going to be – I know several of you are going to be in Roanoke in April, and I will be seeing you then. You guys are going to be at Utopia. Does anybody else have anything coming up anytime soon that we need to know about?
1: Um, I'm going to be in Orlando in March for Authors in the City. Nicole, that's me talking. Um <laughs> <laughs> and um I I I, uh, I can't remember the date of it. It's like um the twelfth or thirteenth I think or something like that. Um but it's authors in the city in Orlando in March. And then um for me personally, uh I'm not doing anything again until June, um, for Utopia and then I'll be at Penn Con in um I think it's September. September. Mhm. Mhm. And that's it for me. Um, I will be at RAI this year. That's in, that's the first weekend in April. This is Joe. And I will also be at Utopia in June, and that's the only two conferences I will be at this year. And this um, is Tia. I
0: will be at the two Joe just mentioned, but I'll, I'll be at PennCon as well in September.
2: I get to see you three times, Tia?
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs>
2: that, yay. <laughs> That just
0: made it totally worthwhile right there, Ethan. I'm thrilled.
2: (laughs) Casey, where are we going to see you at?
1: Um, I'll be at Roanoke, um, Utopia, Carolina Book Fest, and Rebels and Readers in West Virginia.
2: Awesome. And Mm -hmm. Kelly? (laughs)
4: I'll be at Utopia, um, Once Upon a Book, which is, it'll be the first one in Michigan, Mm -hmm. and then PenCon.
2: Nice. I will be seeing you guys at several of these events. I also plan on doing Roanoke, Utopia, TenCon, and hopefully Safety Works Once Upon a Book signing. I've really got my heart set on that one. So I'm really excited to get to see you guys in person now that I finally got to read this one. So expect flails and more hugs at that point as well.
3: Um, yeah,
2: <laughs> I am really pumped. So what is that? I, I'm supposed to be going to Dallas on Saturday, but I actually had to cancel that one. So my next author event is Roanoke. So I'm so excited. We're going to be taking a family vacation and making the 16 hour drive to the East Coast. So it's going to be a whole week full of fun with my family so we are really really excited about that and we're going to do the whole dc thing for the first time so oh, definitely going to fun. make it worth the trip <laughs> it will be yeah. absolutely <laughs> But yeah, to round us out here, guys, so we've got seven. You guys' newest, latest release here, award-winning um, authors of our fractured, fractured Glass novel. Last year here, we are going to be releasing seven tonight at midnight, so getting pretty close here. With the e-book release, the print copies are now on sale across platforms. Um, everything will be available here coming up soon. The Facebook party's coming up. Make sure you request um, – Um, Yep. Sign up to be there. Uh, make sure you're entering <laughs> off for all this swag. Make sure you get your proofs of purchase in and all your reviews in so you guys can get in touch with that awesome swag that Kelly was talking about. Like I said before, guys, this novel is truly unlike anything I've ever read, and as someone whose life is absolutely devoted to literature and reading, it really was a fantastic experience all around. I cannot say how great of a pleasure it is to have spent the last couple of <laughs> hours with you guys here and the friendships we've made over the past couple of months talking about this. It's been a great honor. Joe, thank you so much for allowing me to steal your show for a night and talk to you guys. Okay. And that's really all I've got, guys. Do you guys have anything else you want to bring up or mention? Thank you. No. Nope. No.
4: <laughs> For good being good here. Yep. This for so yes.
2: wonderful. Thanks, visit. Ethan. Well, absolutely ladies. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, you know, I'm always here to help out. And um, before you know I go, anybody else who's interested in following me over on the blog. I'm over at one guy's guide to goodreads blogspot com. I've got a lot of fun content, cover reveals and book reviews, things like that going on. I'm always at signing so scream i'm usually wearing a crown i guess starting this year i'll be wearing a crown at every event so it's where these lovely ladies first found me so you know never hesitate to reach out i definitely love connecting with other readers and i know all of our authors here love connecting with their readers as well so definitely you know feel free to share the bookish love with all of us and like i said guys it's been a real pleasure doing this tonight yep it's been
1: awesome everybody who's listening Thank you guys for listening to A Daily Cup of Joe. Until next time, may your muse be loud and your coffee be hot.